So that's why we praise Him. That's why we sing. And that's why we bow down and worship this King. Because He's not, He doesn't have term limits. And His kingdom will never end. And he does, He's not up for election this week. And somebody say hallelujah. And His kingdom is eternal. And He is life forevermore. And I think on this week of elections, we need to hear that. And I, I don't have an election week sermon. Um, I have this. Listen carefully. Four times in the book of Daniel, God tells Daniel this. I am sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and I will give them to whomever I choose, even the lowliest of men. Four times. He doesn't do it once. He doesn't do it twice. He does it four times. So understand that whatever's going to happen this Tuesday, God is still sovereign. Our king will still be king. His kingdom is still coming, and he is still coming. And it is unstoppable and by faith, we have already received all of his promises. And by the way, that book of Daniel, the same book of Daniel that announces that four times, also announces this. There's a rock cut out of the mountains, but not by human hands. And this rock will come from heaven. And as it comes from heaven, it will crush the feet of iron and clay and all the earthly kingdoms of man will fall and turn to dust and they will be blown away into the history book of human existence and this rock will grow into a mountain and the mountain will cover the whole earth and it will create a kingdom that will never ever 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 end that's why we praise him that's why we sing. That's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this king. Because he gave his everything. Today we're going to talk about the lamb's wedding. I doubt if any of us have ever actually attended a Jewish wedding. I have not. Maybe some of you have. I've seen them on videos, and it's quite an event. Several of us, when we went to Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, got to see a Jewish bar mitzvah uh, near the temple area. And that was quite a thing to see in itself. A Jewish bar mitzvah is when a boy turns 13, they usher him from childhood to manhood. It is quite an event. They had a, a marching band kind of a thing, and it was quite a party. I've done quite a bit of reading and studying about this Jewish wedding ritual. And I found it to have an amazing parallel, not accidental, to Jesus and his bride, the church. So I, I spent quite a bit of time putting together a three-part series that begins today on this Jewish wedding and how it parallels the bride and the bridegroom, which illustrates Jesus' relationship with his church. Today, I want to look at the Old Testament Jewish wedding to figure out where the church fits in, where we fit in. 
Why? Because Jesus himself refers to himself as the bridegroom, and he refers to the church as the bride. I don't want to miss this wedding. I can tell you it'll be the event of the human existence when the Lamb's wedding occurs. Now, there's something that I didn't even put in my notes. It, it came to me when I was studying yesterday. I, it actually came again last night. That's how God does things in my mind. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it's not in the notes today. It says, the secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. The secret things belong to God. There's so much we don't know. There's so much. You know, the, the more I study, the more I realize how much I don't know. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. So here's what we're going to do today and for the next two weeks. We're going to acknowledge the secret things belong to God, but I believe as we go through this, He's going to reveal some things for us, amazing things for us. The bridegroom, the bride, the church. Never is this more clear than in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21, almost at the end of what we call the Bible, uh, the very uh, in the end of Revelation, it says this. <clears throat> and then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. There must be something there. Come, let us show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Something to be learned. There's a secret thing in here. I want it to be revealed. I want to search the Scriptures to find the reason for these comparisons of the bride and the bridegroom and the church. We've already learned that the Old Testament is full of shadows, shadows of future events that will be fulfilled all through Christ. Just an example, Moses in the Old Testament is a shadow of the coming Messiah. He was, Moses came uh, sent by God to deliver them out of bondage. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the one sent by God to bring us out of bondage of sin and death. So Moses is a shadow, <clears throat> a, a dim reflection of the coming Messiah. The wedding in the church will fall into this prophetic shadow. Yes, even up to the rapture. Listen, because following the rapture will be the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb's wedding. Let's begin with the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, they arranged marriages. Can you imagine that today in our culture? Can you imagine a parent looking at their teenage son or daughter and say, we've got all this worked out. We'll tell you later. You see, it was quite, quite common in the Old Testament for the parents to arrange the, the mate of their children. Actually, if you look at the divorce rate in America today, I'm not so sure it wouldn't be a good idea to start it again. 
Not only were the marriages arranged, but there was a price involved. It was negotiated and it was given to secure the bride for the bridegroom. There was a price made. The word used in our previous generation would be a dowry. Not so common today. A dowry, a bride price, a bride payment. Sounds crazy in our culture, but it isn't crazy. It's something that took place much of our history, even in America in the early years. If we're going to go back to the origin of the Jewish wedding to seek after the revelation of the secret things of God, we need to go back to the original Jewish Abraham. If we're going to go back and find out where all of this comes from, this bridegroom and bride thing, we need to go back to the origin of the Jewish people. You need to understand that the origin of the Jewish people begins with one man. He's married to a woman named Sarah, Abraham, Sarah, and they have a single son who will be the child of the promise, and his name is Isaac. Today, we pick up the Abraham story, and he's very old. And his son Isaac, who again, I'll say it specifically, is the child of the promise, the covenant. God gave Abraham a covenant. That covenant will be passed specifically to a boy named Isaac. And now when we pick up the story in Genesis 24, Abraham is very old. He's not sure how much longer he's going to live. And Isaac is of marrying age. It's time to pick a bride. Genesis 24 verse 1. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. Abraham was now a very old man. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Arranged marriages is not the only thing that's out of style. We don't generally take an oath by putting our hand under another person's thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son Isaac to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. This is going to be an arranged marriage, and notice that he's looking for, are you ready for this, you people from Kentucky? A cousin. (laughs) You thought we started that. (laughs) Where is Abraham when he says this? This is really important. Where is Abraham when he says this? Do not let my son marry one of these local Canaanite women. He's in Canaan. He's in the promised land. Do not miss how this is setting up. He is in the promised land. He is in the land of the inheritance. And yet he has no grandchildren. So he needs people to populate the promise of God in the land of the inheritance, the promised land. But his position is, don't you dare let my son Isaac marry a local Canaanite woman. I want you to go to where I came from and find somebody in my family for Isaac to marry. Now, Abraham is in the promised land. That's good news and it's bad news. 
The good news is he's already taken possession of the promised land. He lives there with his son Isaac. The bad news is there's Canaanites also that live there. And Abraham doesn't want his son to marry a Canaanite. Abraham was actually from Haran. He had left there when he was 75 years old. He was now sending his servant to the place of his brother Nahor, where he lived. But the chosen wife, this is also very important in the story. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. So he's going to send his servant to his homeland, to his uh, family's house. But the wife that will be chosen there will have to relocate to Canaan. She will need to move from the world outside of the promised land into the promised land. She would have to move. Verse 5, the story continues. The servant that Abraham is going to send on this mission to find a bride. The servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel so far from her home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land you came from? No! You know, don't miss this. This is really big. So he's in the promised land. So what if the girl says, no, I'm not moving to come to Canaan. Can I take Isaac to go there? No. Abraham responded, be careful. Never, never take my son there. Why does he make such a big deal out of this? For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, the one who took me from there, solemnly promised to give this land, this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine. But under no circumstance are you to take my son out of the promised land, out of the land of the covenant promise, and send him back into the outside world. Under no circumstance. Do you think the land promise of God was and is important to God? Yeah. Under no circumstance does he go to her. Under every circumstance does she come to him. Abraham clearly remembers the promise of God about the land, and he clearly remembers the promise of God about the descendants, the land and the descendants. That's what this is about so far. He is trusting God to work out the details and find the right girl. But they must be under the promise of the land and the descendants. They will possess Canaan. That's the promise. That's part of it. Not just are you going to have a lot of kids who have a lot of descendants. They're going to possess this land. It's part of the promise. Do you see a church wedding yet? I'll ask this a bunch of times today. Anybody see a church wedding yet? You will. Remember, this is new. So Abraham doesn't really have a lot of history to base this Jewish wedding tradition on because he's the first Jew. In fact, this will be the first wedding of his children of the promise. This is all brand new to him. Verse 9. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master 
Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from, from his master, and he traveled to, the, to distant Aram Neharam. There he went to the town where Abraham's brother, Nahor, had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town, and it was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. This servant isn't just looking for any old girl. He's searching for a ten-camel bride, and they are rare. And who is, just a sideline thing that kind of, my mind, is who is this eldest servant of Abraham? Anybody want to guess? He is Eliezer of Damascus. The very one that Abraham had thought to be his heir before Isaac was born. But God said, no. You and Sarah are going to have a child. And now he's the one on the mission to deliver a bride to Isaac. And here come the girls coming out to draw water from the well. What good timing Eliezer is having. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this servant of Abraham for a moment. Do you think you'd feel any pressure? How do you pick a girl out of a crowd of girls carrying water jars? How do you do it? I would feel pressure. In fact, I read this story and I feel pressure for him. What should you do when you feel this kind of pressure? Pray. That's what he did. Praying before the wedding is always a good idea. Praying before your children ever think about getting married is always a good idea. My wife and I prayed our entire life when we had children that God would give them the right mate. Verse 12, Eliezer, the servant of Abraham. Oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be one. Let her be the one you, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Now, I tell you, I love that prayer. I kind of studied that prayer for a moment. It is taking the responsibility out of Eliezer, the servant's hands, and putting it into God's providence. He's putting it into God's providence. In other words, he's saying, I, I don't know how to pick the right girl, so I'm going to let you determine it by putting it in your hands. Verse 15. Before he had finished praying, whoa, that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. Before he finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother, Nahor, and his wife, Milcah. 
Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all of his camels. Now, my first question is this. How much water do you think 10 camels can drink? I mean, I've heard my whole life that a camel can go across the desert and they don't need water. So this is not just a 10 camel bride. She's an incredible 10 camel bride. God has made very great and precious promises to Abraham, and they are all being fulfilled at the well that day by his providence. Now, stop in the story for a moment. I'm going to ask you again. Anybody see a church wedding yet? Maybe not, but you will. Her name is Rebecca, and she is Isaac's first cousin once removed. She is kinfolk. She is beautiful, she is of marrying age, and she is a virgin. And she can water ten camels, which is not a simple task. She is indeed a ten-camel bride. Verse 21. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. Then at last, when the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring. He took out a gold... After the camels had got all their water, which probably took a while, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrist. A gold ring in the nose works every time. (laughs) That's when they were arranged marriages. Two large gold bracelets on her wrist. Abraham's servant, Eliezer, then does something. He goes and meets with Rebekah's family to explain to them the mission that he is on from his master, Abraham. When they heard about Abraham, their kinfolk, and when they heard of God's providence, this was their response. Verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here. So there's nothing we can say. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard this answer, he bowed down to the ground and he worshiped the Lord. He kind of felt the pressure's off right now. And then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and mother. Then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with them stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master. But we, 
want, but we want Rebecca to stay with us for at least 10 days. Uh-oh, pressure's on again. Send me back to my master. No, we would like for her to stay for at least 10 days. Her brother and mother said, then after 10 days she can go. But Eleazar, he said, don't delay me. The Lord has made my mission successful. Now send me back so I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. Don't you think this would be a really good idea? Rather than everybody making Rebecca's decisions, let's call Rebecca and see what she thinks. Now, I'm going to tell you before I read it, this is big. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. So they called Rebecca and they asked her, are you willing to go with this man? And she replied, yes, I will go. Who's really arranging this wedding? God. The Lord, Rebecca's family said in the beginning, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there's nothing we can say. Who can undo what God is about to do here? The Lord has obviously brought you here. It is an arranged marriage. Now listen, let's pause in the story for a moment. It is an arranged marriage. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. Listen carefully. It is an arranged marriage arranged by the Father. Do you see any connection to the church yet? The price is paid for the bride. Who paid the price? The Father. The Father of the bridegroom in this story paid the price. Abraham, the father of Isaac, paid the price. He's the one that gave the ten camel supply of goods to the servant to go pay the bride price. The payment, the price, was settled in advance. Before the bride ever got the offer, the payment, the price, was settled in advance. The price was given and the bride was called, but the bride must now choose. In advance, the, the amount was set. It's stacked on the back of 10 camels. The invitation, the bride is now chosen. Rebecca, it's you. One last thing, the bride must choose. Are you willing to go with this man? That was the question. You see, nobody could decide for her. Nobody in her family can make this ultimate last decision. You must decide yourself. Will you go with this man? Will you accept this bride pass? Will you accept this wedding to a man you have not even met? Yes, I will go. Do you see a church wedding yet? Hang on, you will. 2,000 years after this scene, the New Testament, 2,000 years, 
Jesus has now come in the death and the burial and resurrection. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the Gentile church. That's, that's in our age, the Gentile church in Galatia. And here's what he says. 2,000 years after Rebekah and Isaac and Abraham. Galatians 4.28 says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, you means us, are children of the promise. Just like Isaac. What? He's talking to Gentiles. People who are outside of the family of Abraham. We got no birthright in Abraham. We're foreigners. We're, we're living over there in Nahor's land, outside the promised land, right? And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. You, you, you got the same promise that Isaac's got. That same passage calls all Christians... Brothers and sisters, children of the promise. Now, let me ask you, do you see a church wedding yet? I'm running out of hints. So let me give you a symbolic or shadow picture, and then I'm going to put all the pieces together for you. Remember I told you that everything in the Old Testament is actually a shadow, a dim reflection of the reality of Christ. So here it comes. Abraham is a picture of God the Father. The father that's going to arrange a marriage. Number two, Isaac is a picture of Jesus the son. The man that will receive his chosen bride. Isaac was the child of the promise. The promise of God would flow through the son, Isaac. Anybody see a church wedding yet? Eleazar is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The one that introduces the bride to the bridegroom. Whoa. Rebecca is a picture of the chosen bride of the son. She is the church. The bride of Christ. The bride price was given. The bride was called. And the bride must choose. Are you willing to go with this man? You see, at that point, nobody can decide for her. She now must decide herself. Am I willing to accept the bride price offered by the Father? Yes, I will go. Now, do you see a church wedding yet? And what was the price that the Father would offer for the bride I'm not talking about Abraham anymore. That's the shadow. I'm talking about us today. The church. What was the price the Father has offered for the bride to leave the land of Nahor, the land of the lost, and come into the promised land and enter into the family of Abraham? What was the bride price? John 3.16. For God loved the world so much. He loved those people over in Nahor's land. Those living outside the promised land who'd had no connection to Abraham and Isaac, which is the covenant of God. God loved the world so much that he gave. Here's the bride price. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish. You won't die outside the promised land. Because if you don't get inside the promised land and get yourself connected to the Father, you're going to die outside the promised land. You're going to die out there. 
so that anyone who believes, everyone who believes in him will not perish. Not perish. I don't want to perish. I don't want you to perish. I don't want anybody to perish. But not just not perish. You can have eternal life. Eternity is a long time to be anywhere. And God sent the bride price. God sent his son into the world, the bride price, into the world, not to judge the world. That's not why he came. But to save the world through the bride price of the son. The bride price was the very life of the son. God gave the price. God sent the price to the earth to purchase the bride. We were bought with a price so much more than 10 camels, so much more than 10 camels stacked with gold and silver and precious jewels. Do you know what it cost? The apostle Peter lists the cost of the bride price. 1 Peter 1.18. For you know that God paid, how much did it cost? God paid a ransom to save you from this empty life outside the promised land that you inherited from your ancestors. And that ransom, the ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver or nose rings or bracelets or camels loaded with stuff. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. This is an arranged marriage. Long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you. But long before the world began, this bride price was established. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. But now he has revealed them to you in these last days. Do you see the church wedding now? I can look around the room and I get this point and I'll just tell you, I have no idea who's getting it and who's not getting it. He has now revealed him to you in the last days. Who's he? He has now revealed him to you in the last. Who's he? Who has the power to reveal this blood price established by the Father before the world began? Who? He is the Holy Spirit. And he is here. Listen carefully. And he is here to arrange the marriage to the Son. He is the Holy Spirit, and his purpose is to put together the marriage between the bridegroom and the bride. He connects them. What Eleazar did to Rebekah is what the Holy Spirit is doing to the church, to introduce the bride to the bridegroom and to tell the value of the invitation. First, the Spirit reveals our desperate need to get married because we're going to die without the bridegroom in the land outside of the promise. That's the first thing he does. Rebecca was outside of the promised land. Do you understand that? She was living outside. Remember when God, when, excuse me, when Abraham told his servant, whatever you do, she's got to come to him. He can't go to her. She's got to come in. 
in John 16, verse 8. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit works, okay? If the Holy Spirit is the one who introduces the bride to the bridegroom, Jesus describes it in John 16, 8. Jesus says this, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin, number one. He will convict the world of God's righteousness, number two. And he will convict the world of coming judgment, which means you've got to get from the outside to the inside. That's what he's going to do. The world's sin. So what's the sin? The Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin, to convict the world of righteousness, and convict the world of the coming judgment. That's what he's doing. You know he's doing it right now? He's doing it today. Sin, righteousness, judgment. Sin, righteousness, judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in those three things that the Holy Spirit is revealing. Sin, righteousness, and judgment will leave you outside of Abraham's family in a land that has no promise. It's not the promised land. The Spirit reveals the perfect righteousness of the bridegroom. The Spirit reveals the, the fact that you cannot stay where you are and follow God. You cannot stay as you are and follow God. You must change. Something must change. And when you receive the bride price, there's a power to change. John 16, 10, righteousness is available. It's the next verse. How does the Holy Spirit work? Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and you'll see me no more. The invitation of the bridegroom through the Holy Spirit means righteousness is within your reach. You can now reach it. It's not out of your reach. It's reachable. You can actually go into the family of Abraham. You can actually leave the land of the dead and enter the promised land covenant of the living. Yes, you can. Righteousness is available. It's within your reach. But only through the wedding. Anybody listening? Only through the wedding. Only by receiving the price that was given by the Father. The Father is in the promised land. The wedding is the way into the promised land. Are you willing to go with this man? I keep hearing that question offered to Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, she, she's never met Isaac. And here is this stranger telling her of all the promises. He, he, this stranger is this picture of the Holy Spirit that's revealing all the promises that are made available through the Father and through the Son. But you have to move. You have to get up and move. Something's going to have to change. The Spirit then warns us about the judgment that will come to those who refuse the wedding price given by the Father. Am I listening? What if you reject the offer of the wedding price? Reject the offer to be the bride of Christ. What if you say, I don't want to move. I like living in Nahor's land. I like living where I, where I live right now. I don't want to change. I'd like to have the wedding, but I want him to come to me. John 16, 11. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. If you remain in the land of Nahor when you receive the offer to move to the promised land through the wedding, you will surely perish. 
You will not survive. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world, that's the land of Nahor, has already been judged. Finally, the Spirit reveals that there is only one way into the family of Abraham. Only one way into the Father, and that's through the Son. How in the world is Rebekah going to get connected to Abraham? This is really big. How can Rebekah, living in the land of Nahor, how can she get connected to Abraham? How can she get connected to the Father in the story? One way, through the Son. Through the Son. You got to go through the Son. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. So let's insert something to the promised land, to the Father. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one can come to the Father. No one's going to get into the promised land. No one's going to get out of the land of Nahor, the land of death, except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Anybody see a church wedding yet? I'm out of hints. That's it. Now I want to do something. Let's tie everything back to Abraham. Do you see how Rebecca, the bride, got into Abraham's family? Do you see how Rebecca got into the family of the father of Isaac? Galatians 3 verse 6. In the same way. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous. Why? Because of faith. The real children of Abraham. Who are they? The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the Scriptures look forward to this time. What? What time? Right now, today. The Scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles, that's us in this room, non-Jewish people, to be righteous because of what? What would make me righteous in this story? What would make me right with God, that's what righteous means, in this story? Faith. Listen carefully. This is really big. Faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago. When he said, all nations are going to be blessed through you, including this one. So all who put their faith in Christ, the bridegroom, share the same blessing, Abraham. I'm going to tell you, that's almost bigger than I can even imagine. All who put their faith in Jesus share the same, the same blessing as Abraham received because of his faith. There you go. Abraham and Isaac's wedding is connected to our wedding. The same blessing, the same family. But how? By faith in Christ. Do you know what that really means? Listen, I'm going to melt it down to the simplest version. You know what that really means? Faith in Christ. We are Rebecca. We're in a foreign land. And the Holy Spirit has come to us and introduced us to a, a son of the Father that will connect us permanently in a promised land and life forever. And we stand like Rebecca in front of the Holy Spirit and he says this, will you go with this man? Yes, I will go.
Yes, I will go. Will you? And what do you think will happen if you say no? Yes, I will go. The Gentiles are going to be able to participate in this first Jewish wedding and become the children of the promise and find their place in the family of Abraham, the promised land as the children of God. That's the only way you're going to get into the father's family. So I'm going to close and let you know this. This is only part one. And I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, part two and three are the best. But you've got to come back next week for those. Before I finish today, I want to ask everybody a really important question. In fact, it'll be the most important question I ask you today. What do you think about the idea that Rebecca would cheat on Isaac after Eliezer paid the bride price for her? What if she fooled around with the men along the way back to Isaac in the land of Canaan? Because it takes a long time to get from Nahor's house to the promised land to the father's house. What would you think about Rebecca if she cheated with the guys traveling with Eliezer on her way back to Isaac? Remember, this is after the bride price had been paid by the father. This is after she said, yes, I will go, and yes, I will be the bride of the bridegroom. Don't you think it would be reasonable for the bride to be faithful while she's waiting for the wedding day? Come on. Don't you think that's a reasonable expectation of the father, Abraham, of the son, Isaac? Don't you think that's a reasonable expectation that now that she has said, yes, I will go, she has taken the bride price, she's received the bride price, and now she's waiting, she's on her way toward the wedding. Don't you think it's reasonable for her to be faithful while she's waiting for the wedding? What would the father think about any bride? Let's think about Abraham. What would the father think about any bride that cheated during the time of the engagement period? What would Isaac, the son, think about his bride cheating on him during the engagement period? After the Holy Spirit had revealed the bride price payment to the chosen bride, all of that to ask this, would you call it adultery? What is adultery? It's unfaithfulness. That's what it is. Unfaithfulness is adultery. A few minutes ago, I read to you that Abraham had one thing that got him the covenant promises. Abraham believed God. And because he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness because of his what? Faith. You know, faith is not adultery. Faith is to be faithful. To be unfaithful is, in God's perspective, adultery. Everybody listen. From God's perspective, unfaithfulness is adultery. The bride has received the bride price, and she's a cheater. 
She's got the bride price. She said she would go. And while the wedding is about to happen, she cheats on the bridegroom. It's unfaithfulness. Would you call it adultery? You don't have to guess. I can read it to you as we close today. It's the decision whether or not there's a competition between the lure of the promised land and the lure of the land of Nahor outside the promised land. Both are competing for the affection of the bride. It's a competition. But the bride in this story has received the bride price. She has said, yes, I will go. She has left and she's supposedly heading toward the wedding. Would she cheat? James 4, 4. You don't have to guess. Here we go. This is God's perspective. You adulterers. Church, please listen to me today. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? If it wasn't enough that he said it once, here it comes again. I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You're a cheater. You could have been in love with God. Your heart could have been totally devoted to the coming wedding. You could have had your eyes fixed on things above. And yet you turned around and all you want to do is look at the world. You're an adulterer. Verse 5, what do you think the Scripture means when they say that the Spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? You know what that means? That the Spirit God put in us when we received the bride price means our heart is undivided. It's filled with envy. God loves me. He, he doesn't want me having an affair with the world when I could be in love with Him. Distracted by the world when the wedding's coming. You adulterers. Verse 6, but He gives us even more grace to stand against such evils. What, what evil? Unfaithfulness is the evil. He gives us more grace to stand against such evils. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So listen, church, here's his instructions to the church who is distracted. Here's his instructions to the church that are living an adulterous life when the wedding is about to take place. Here's his instruction. Verse 7. Please listen to these words from God through the Holy Spirit. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Why? For your loyalty is divided between God and this world. And you, from God's perspective in this divided loyalty, are committing adultery against the bridegroom. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom 
instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He'll lift you up in honor. My message to the church today is very simple. Prepare yourself for the wedding. I don't think it's far off. Make yourself ready by remaining faithful to the bridegroom as we await for his arrival. Don't say, don't do whatever you do. Don't say, yes, I will go. I received the bride price. Yes, I will go. And then turn around and look at the world. From God's perspective, you are an adulterer. You know what he expects from us? Faithfulness. That's what he, do you think that's unreasonable that he gave his only son on the cross at Calvary as the bride price? Do you think it's reasonable that he expects you and I to be faithful to him? Like a bride waiting for her groom? That's what he's expecting. Not divided hearts. Not divided loyalty between the world and the bridegroom. When you consider the price that was paid for the bride, this is a reasonable expectation from the Father. As I read this final scripture today, I'm going to ask you, are you ready for this wedding? Will you be in this scene, the Lamb's wedding? Everybody, I'm going to ask you a question. Will you be at the Lamb's wedding? Yes or no? Not everyone will be at the Lamb's wedding. Revelation 19.6. I can tell you this is hard to even read. Especially when you look at the context. And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Judgment day is here. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the time has come. For the time has come. For the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride has prepared herself. She's not distracted. She's not turned around looking back at the world. She's not in adultery. She's been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Somebody say hallelujah. Blessed. If the Holy Spirit came and invited you to the wedding, blessed are you. And he added, these are the words, the true words that come from God. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. There are three groups of people in this room today. There are three groups of people in this room today. I don't know who's which, but I'll tell you the three groups. There are people sitting in this room today that the Holy Spirit has invited you to be a bride to the bridegroom. And you are a cheater. You are in adultery. 
You're what the lukewarm calls in the church at Laodicea. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. You think you can play the middle. And he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I will vomit you up. And you're in the room today. And as this minute, there's time for you to humble yourself before God. And there's a second group, and the second group are these that, quite frankly, you've never received the bride price. And by faith, you have never received the Holy Spirit's message to you to come and be the wife of the Lamb. Today, His invitation's open. The secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to you. And if He has revealed them to you today, today is the day of salvation. Today. Today. I told you there's three groups. There's another group, and they're the bride that's waiting for the groom. They're ready. The biggest thing in their life is the wedding that's coming. And they're not cheaters. Maybe there was a time in their life they loved the world, but now they see the world for what it is. And they see Jesus for who he is. And their hearts are fully devoted to him. This is not a competition anymore. He wins. He wins. Which one of those three are you? Like a bride waiting for her groom. I pray we're the church that he's talking about. We're going to sing a song. And today, I want you to take seriously the fact that not everyone's going to be at the Lamb's wedding. Are you? Stand, listen.